0: Hey there, Michael Griffiths here, founder of Referral Marketing Guru, and welcome to this week's Get More Referrals Today podcast. Whether you're tuning in via iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast station, or on our socials, YouTube, it is great to have you and really excited for today. Like today is something that's pretty, pretty special. Been looking forward to this for for a couple of weeks since we uh got in touch and and booked this gentleman on because not only is he a good friend but someone who just the thinking and the mindset and the thoughts that run through his mind you could sit and listen to for literally years and years and years and years and years, and years. so uh don't miss a beat of this. Make sure you got pen and paper because you're going to have plenty of things to take down. Uh, it's one reason why I love getting a guest on. I'm not sharing who it is yet. You're going to stay with me because really it transforms the way you think and the way that you do things and the way that you share the things that you share with your people. So uh, as always, we don't run ads. We don't uh, have sponsorships. If you love the show, The simple fee is really easy. Just share it. Share it with another consultant. Share it with another service provider. Share it with another entrepreneur. Because the more you share things, the more we get great guests like this wanting to join us because they know that they're making an impact. And all of our people love making an impact. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on Simon Bowen. Simon, thank you so much for jumping on, joining us. Uh, The creator of the models method you so much more than that. I really appreciate you being here. And for those that don't know anything about you, start us off. Just fill us in a little bit about you being stuck over there in WA because the rest of the country you can't get into.
1: So for the people overseas, WA is Western Australia. Michael, thanks for having me on. Good to see you again. I mean, we haven't been able to be in the same room now for well over 18 months because of what's happening. But I'm on the west coast of Australia right now. Uh, Michael's on the east coast of Australia. We couldn't be further apart uh, physically in this country. We're, we're on opposite coasts. Um, and uh, you know, we've uh, things are pretty good here, Michael. When we're, we're not in lockdown, but like you, we're not leaving the country anytime soon either. So <laughs> that's you know, that's that's the problem. Um, it's an interesting question. People ask me. A, well, they say, what do you do? And, you know, we've come to realise that, and I don't say there's any ego attached, we we actually haven't yet found anybody that teaches what we teach or help people do what we help people to do in business. And, uh, you know, how did you arrive at that way of thinking about business? And, um, you know, I've spent 25 or 30 years facilitating complex uh and and contentious issues in companies and in government it's things like the government will say to me we're going to put 200 people in a room together that are at war with each other over a policy but they are united in their collective hatred of us and you've got two hours can you get them to agree and uh i have a reputation for being able to do that you know we're going to build a one point four billion dollar sports stadium can you get all the stakeholders to agree on what they want in that stadium we're going to deploy the army navy and air force into an overseas theater of war but we want external contractors to supply base services can you get them to all agree uh we you know we're going to build a mine um in papua new guinea on an island just off the north coast and we need to get all the parties on board can you get them to agree and so So much of my uh, professional life has been about how do you influence a bunch of people uh, towards an idea, and and I'd like I just want to float a simple thought for people. Um, You know, a lot of people talk a lot about systems in business, Uh, but the two the two most important systems in any business is the system for thinking and the system for influence, and people don't think of them as systems. But a business is only as good as the idea on which it's built and the quality of the thinking that's leading that. And then the ability to influence everybody else to support you, staff to work hard, customers to buy from you, suppliers to serve you, banks to fund you, regulators to allow you to operate. And so the ability to think and influence is the heartbeat of business. And yet it's not something people talk about. And you know what I've discovered over these twenty-five years—it's been a natural way for me to work. I grew up in the country, like small country towns, nine hundred people. And you know, when I first got my license, and I said to dad, "I'm going to drive to Perth," he literally got a stick and drew how to get to Perth from Dumbleyung in the ground. With this. people, people in remote communities draw to explain. You know, like um, you know, I'm going to build a cubby for the children margaret and you grab a bit of paper in your drawer now they just they just draw right and i grew up like that and then i then i went into electronics and you can't you cannot design you cannot create an electronic circuit without drawing the circuit first you have to draw a model of the circuit on paper before you actually make the reality and You know, then when I came out of that industry and, uh, you know, I thought I'd be a teacher, I was going to teach science and stuff, and you you spend most of your time, you know, a formula as a model, putting it visually in front of people. And we recently ran a survey on LinkedIn and we asked people how they would like to receive um, a complex concept. Would you like it told to you? Would you like it uh, written out for you? Or would you like it visually presented to you? 84% said visually presented to me. Uh, I can't remember the other split, but let's say six percent uh, said um, told to me, and then let's say what does that leave us with? Ten percent, you know, written out for me. It was in that range, and and here's the problem. We actually, I'll, I'll draw it for you. Um, here's the problem that we have. If we think about uh, let's say we've thought our way through a pretty a pretty complex idea, a big idea, and most businesses are based on a big idea. We tend to default to uh, we tend to default to words only, either in written copy or spoken copy, right? And when you default to words only, the customer says, "I hear you." And quite frankly, it's just noise. And the other thing is only 11% of the information from the world around us comes in through the auditory channel. 11%. Now, 1% comes through um, the gustatory channel, taste. And another 2% comes through the olfactory channel, smell. Licking and sniffing are not recommended sales strategies. So we need to get rid of those. So 3% percent's gone, Right. And that leaves that leaves um, touch. Now touch is really useful if you can put something in someone's hands, but often you can't. Um, so we're left with auditory and visual, and only eleven percent comes through the auditory channel. So if we could, if we could give people visual access to that big idea, if we could let them see it, eighty-three percent of the information from the world around us comes through the optic nerve. 55% of the brain's reflex system is attached directly to the optic nerve. The animals hear a sound and get ready, but they, they, you know, fight or flee when they see the danger. And so when we get up to this level, people say, Oh, I see. And that's interesting. What was noise becomes interesting when we can see it. Now, clip art and and stock images are kind of through here. There's something else up here that is a much more powerful visual to put in front of people. The The other dimension that matters is if we can give people structural access to an idea. Now, the human brain likes to piece things together. It hates stuff being disjointed. So when we can give people structural access, they land at this place uh, where they go, okay, I get it. And if I get it, it's believable. So in the same way that if I was just talking through what I'm going through at the moment with you, uh, I would have already lost everybody down here
0: I probably
1: would have cut you off. Or you would have cut me off, right? <laughs> but the eyes hold engagement much longer than the ears. And the eyes being presented with something that is structured hold engagement much longer than a visual, than, than just an image, right? And even though I'm talking broadly with this, the model that I've drawn makes it believable. And then we end up in this quadrant up here, the green quadrant, where people go, oh, I see. I get it. That's desirable. And then the real discovery that I had was that there's another zone in this model. There's not four quadrants. There's a fifth area. And the fifth area is this super green zone up here where if these were performance scales from one to ten and that's an eight, so we score, we, we, we perform structurally above an eight in how we communicate and one to ten and this is an eight and we perform visually above an eight on how we communicate, I call that choreography. My big discovery was the most powerful thing about a model is not the model itself, it's how you walk through it. There's been no accidents in anything I've done in the last several minutes. And there's been a couple of punchlines laid down, subconscious punchlines that were very deliberate. There's been some pacing and timing, and there's been st- a story told inside the model, and we know how powerful stories are, right? Animals don't but, uh, run away or fight when they hear the noise. They wait until they see it. You know? So there's been this stuff laid down. And if you deliver with great choreography, desirable, becomes buyable and what happens is when you sell in this zone up here when you influence in this zone up here all resistance falls away so uh you can think of um you can think of resistance below the line and influence above the line and and no one no one likes to be pressured into a sale So why would any of us use a pressure-based way of selling when we don't like to buy that way? So, you know, I, 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 I started to realize how powerful this idea, excuse me for a moment. Sorry, I just had a little cough. I started to realize how powerful this idea of not only communicating visually, but with frameworks, models that really pull together complexity and delivered them into these little packages of simplicity that people could remember. So the audience might come away from the podcast going, I don't remember exactly what Simon talked about with the visual and the structural thing, but they've just remembered visual and structural. And "And I know he had a model, so I'm going to go back to Michael's podcast and find that on the video or find that in the notes or whatever. I'm not trying to get people to remember what I talk about, you know, committed to memory, never forgotten. I'm trying to get people to remember that I spoke about it and to know where they'll find the model if, and, and they'll find the model if they come back to my stuff. And if I've got a big idea, I need to find a way to communicate that, particularly if it's going to change the world. So one of the things that happens for a lot of people is um, your customer says, and then I'll draw a breath, Michael, and we can for questions or something. Hey, you're good. Your customer says, I have a problem. And here's what they're hoping. They're hoping that somehow they can end up on a green line up to success relative to that problem. They're also well aware and scared that the red line down to crisis exists in duality. You can't have one side of the concept without the other. So you can't have a concept of success if there's not the risk of crisis. You can't have dark without light. You can't have night without day. And so the customer goes, I've got a problem. And people say you can't predict the future, but we actually can. There's two futures. You're going to be successful or you're going to fail. And so I've got a problem. I want to be successful on this. And the job for most people in the market is to say we have a big idea that can give you this pathway through your problem up on the green line and not only that it will protect you from this pathway down to red do you want me to explain my big idea to you and of course the customer says yes and then we hear people well we deliver it over five weeks it comes in three boxes Uh, all the instructions are there to put it together it'll take an hour and a half, but like detail, and, and that has just deflated everything out of the sale. Or people go, yes, we've got this big idea, and they're so enamoured with their own idea and they use such complex language that, that it's a bridge too far and no one can believe it, as opposed to saying, what we've got is a structured framework that can solve that problem for you. Would you like me to walk through the framework? And all of a sudden, everything changed. Now, from a sales point of view, a lot of people struggle with imposter syndrome, and they're struggling with imposter syndrome because they're having to sell themselves. They're having to say, "I'm awesome, I'm the originator of this thought. We're amazing. You can trust us, blah, blah blah. And as soon as you capture your big idea, you're thinking into a frame a model, the model becomes the influence tool. And now you're saying, we have this framework and it's a pretty powerful framework. The ego gets attached to the framework and a customer, someone that you're influencing, whether it's a child and you're the parent or it's a student and you're the teacher or it's a customer and you're the salesperson, no one wants to buy your ego. They just don't. Um, But they're happy to buy the ego of a powerful solution uh, or, or the, 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 you know, when I say the ego of a powerful solution, the efficacy of a powerful solution. And all they need to know is, uh, will it work? And if you've got a framework that is proven and you can show that it works, it just changes everything. So I kind of discovered this way of facilitating these complex problems with people, honestly, I'm just giving them, this this is like facilitation 101. Uh, And I would say to people, stop selling and you will sell more. Stop being a salesperson. Start facilitating conversations. So I'd get in a room with 200 people and if you've got them for two hours, I just discovered that if I frustrate them for three quarters of that time, like if for an hour and a half, I just frustrate them. Someone goes, it's not this, it's that. And I go, interesting thought. Let me write that up on the flip chart. And somebody else says, no, it's completely opposite. Oh, interesting. Let me write that up on the flip chart. Uh, if I just frustrated people for an hour and a half of the available two hours, it, you, you build so much tension in the room that they just refuse to leave the room until they get to an answer. And so at the three-quarter mark, I go, you know what, I think I could draw a model for this. And I go to the whiteboard and facilitate a model out of the room. And at the end, they go, why didn't you give us that at the start? I go, we didn't have it at the start, folks. You, you people built it, and it's really hard for people to disagree with a model that they helped to build. And they go, awesome. Well, that's the answer. Then I go, great. So it's just a matter of implementing that then. And they go, fabulous. And so even though I have a view of what that model is going to be, if I facilitate the room and let them put their language on the model, I just need to know. So this model doesn't have to say interesting, noise, believable, desirable. If I was in the live room, I'd say, well, when you see something, how is that different to when you just hear something? And they go, well, it's much more interesting. Oh, all right, interesting. Okay, when you when 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 you when when there's structure to something, how is that different to when you're just hearing it? Well, it's much more, you know, you, you can you can trust it. Okay, why would you trust it? What's well, more believable? Right, believable, great. Now I already know what I'm gonna put on there. I just have to facilitate them to it. But they give me the words, now it's their model. It's really hard to disagree with this, right? stop selling still for, start facilitating so that's kind of tied up with some of the stuff about why this works some of the some of the background history of where it comes from and and i'll draw a breath and we can we can go in a different direction we can talk about whatever you like but there's it's just so why do we why would we use why would we we rely so heavily on the 11 percent that is confusing but we do The two most important systems in business are the system for thinking and the system for influence, and we've got to be better at it. And the use of powerful psychologically deep visual models for me is that system for thinking and influence.
0: Love it, Simon. It's like we could be done and people would be jumping up and down if they just got that. Good introduction (laughs) of what you do. (laughs) Like, Love it. Fantastic. So... If you haven't grasped that, really, you've got to be able to take what you do and rather than just talking at people because we tune out, you've got to be able to show them. You've got to visually be able to show them. So I'm saying, if you're you're listening to this as a podcast, you need to go and find the YouTube uh, video. It's in the show notes below to be able to actually watch. Because I was sitting there just, again, as I always do when Simon gets a pen and paper in front of him, just sitting in amazement. And uh, I could just let him keep on going and going and going. And you think why that is. Because you're bought into it. You're on the journey with him. You're actually going through this with him at the same time. Yeah. So as Simon was saying, it's like, well, If he was just talking, what happens? You feel like you're being spoken at, and eventually you tune out. You're not engaged. We've all been in their primary school, high school, where we sat there and we've had enough years experiencing Boring. But when you've got someone drawing and you're actually involved and part of the solution, it's really hard to not get excited about going, yeah, let's do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when you draw, you draw people in. And, um, you know, people know that I draw all the time. I don't ever use PowerPoint. I always draw on a blank piece of paper or, or an iPad or something. You know, I've sold millions of dollars worth of our own consulting work on napkins and things. Um, you know, you just, and it's, you know, when you can draw from blank in front of people, you're positioned entirely differently. Here's what PowerPoint turns an expert into a presenter drawing something from a blank sheet of paper can turn a presenter into an expert there's a real difference and there's a deep emotional attachment to drawing for people the first thing that most people put on paper was some really bad drawings with crayons of their parents circles triangles and squares right nothing complex And they got a lot of positive affirmation for that, and it probably got stuck on the fridge or even framed. And then when they went to school and they started to learn cursive writing, they were told to stay inside the lines and write at a certain angle. And if you're a left-hander like I was, uh, got hit with the ruler on the hand and made to write right-handed. And so a lot of people have such deep, powerful, emotional connection to drawings and the oldest form of recorded communication, Michael, is some of us from our indigenous, uh, you know, uh, uh, Aboriginal people with cave art, drawings on walls of caves. And yet we don't have the same attachment to words because of how we learnt them, right? And so when you draw, you bubble up all these feelings that people have about drawing is interesting. And it, you, there's a, there's a, there's kind of a problem that we have in the marketplace that I want to lean into. And sometimes people say to me, yeah, but, you know, you can't always, the customer can't always see what you're doing, right? We've had COVID. And what COVID's done is it's turned Zoom and StreamYard and other platforms into the modern-day phone. My 86-year-old mother can use Zoom. So why would I ever say to a customer, let's jump on the phone? If I could say, let's have a call, and they... Half of them are thinking that already means Zoom and I can actually visually be in front of them. Why would I cut out the visual medium when it's so easy today to have it, you know? Zoom is on everyone's phone devices, StreamYard, um, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, whatever. Um, But having said that, I can talk people through a model just um, in language and have it popping into their head as I explain, you know? Imagine... Imagine a triangle, and on the first side of the triangle, there's uh, there's geometry. The first key component of a great model is the geometry. And the geometry gives you shape and it gives you the dynamic of the idea that you're talking about. On the second side of the triangle is the content. and the content is, uh, is are the words that you put into the model, and they should lay down you know the big idea, the concept, and the context behind it. And then on the across the bottom of the triangle, uh, is the third key piece which is really the hidden piece which is choreography it's how you walk through the model the pathway and the punch lines, like great comedy and great stage magic now I've just done a model without drawing a single thing but everyone's got a triangle in their heads and what the triangle has told them without me saying a thing is you need all three because without it it collapses I don't, that's psychologically I don't have to say that you know and and it doesn't matter how what shape, you know, whether people got a tall triangle or a wide one, they know there's three key components, and I've just laid out a, a whole model. But there's a bigger question behind what you were talking about. And I'm I'm kind of on a bit of a mission to challenge people in the complex product and services space. And um, this is going to offend some people. So go for it. <laughs> I oh, know you're up for it. Now. Well, I'm just, I know you're up for it. I'm just warning everybody else. <laughs> so, there's a marketplace, um, and people show up in the marketplace in multiple ways. And uh, just let me, I'll grab a blue. It's better for that. So there are people that take their product or service their complex product or service uh, you know and they turn it into they turn it into a system or a solution they productize it and everyone's had everyone's everyone's aware of that that push in marketing you've got to turn your thing into a system well i do agree with that actually you've got to turn into a system so that you can deliver it at a in a cost effective way and in a repeatable, reliable way. But selling something as a system these days, selling something as a product, elicits one thing from the customer, and that is, what's the price? Product equals price. And so you are, the moment you turn your genius into a system, and you market as a system, you you drop into price territory. So what emerged then was the next level, which was content marketing or authority marketing, which is a great idea, putting some of your content out in the marketplace and showing people what you're capable of. But what disturbed me was the emergence of the term thought leader. You know, when, I, when someone on LinkedIn puts a post up and they call themselves a thought leader and there are two comments, on the post to be a thought leader, you need two things you need an original thought and you need followers. If you have an original thought and no followers, you're a thinker, not a thought leader. And if you've got followers and it's not your original stuff, you're a teacher or a facilitator, not a thought leader. And uh, you know, so a lot of people call themselves thought leaders and they're actually not, and the markets become a bit jaded with that because we've all seen people calling themselves thought leaders and under our breath we're saying you are so not a thought leader mate now the problem with thought leaders leadership is that people say uh, people go to the thought leader for information and they often want it for free hey i'd love to have a coffee and pick your brains right and it's, you know, you, you, you can sell to the market as a thought leader, but the real thought leaders never call themselves thought leaders. Everybody else does. So what's the next level? The next level is you become a hero to your clients. And people go to the hero for strength. I've got this issue. I want to be on the green line up to success. But what I really need is the strong solution to that i need strength and i need answers in the middle Uh, or if i don't have the solution i need someone to do the heavy lifting for me and so people go to the hero for strength and these two levels very much rely on an ego-based sales process you know i'm the thought leader or i'm the hero what's interesting about this is that every hero has the sage that they go to now luke skywalker is the hero of the star wars movies right and and luke's this young and fit warrior and he's practiced with the lightsaber and he can fly one of those spaceships and um and he's driven by the cause and he's got a sage yoda and the sage is often smaller and physically weaker than the hero in the great stories. And so Yoda picks up a lightsaber and says to Luke Skywalker, attack me, Luke. And Luke said, Yoda, I can't attack you. I'll, I'll kill you. And Yoda says, no, no, Luke, attack me. Have a go. Um, and Luke has a couple of half assed waves of the lightsaber and Yoda just deflects them without even thinking and Luke gets a little bit angry and he goes a little bit harder, and Yoda just deflects him without even thinking. And so Luke gets really angry, and Yoda just shuts his eyes and deflects Luke with the lightsaber. And, and in about two seconds, he's got Luke in a position where he could have killed him. And Yoda just goes, Luke, the force is within you. And the real strength of the sage is their wisdom. And the hero goes to the sage not for strength but for wisdom. And the moment you sell from wisdom, egos are necessary. And the sage never calls themselves a sage. So the sage has three qualities. The sage has profound genius. So they they don't sell. They they move away from selling through ego and they sell through wisdom. And so one of the first things that we do when we, when we work with clients, this is called the genius model. And you're, you know, you're very familiar with the genius model. But The first thing we do when we work with clients is unpack what they do into a genius model. And I, I would say, Michael, 100% of the people that we've worked with end up saying to us afterwards, we had no idea what, of, of what we were sitting on of just how smart our thing is. And I'm going, well, that's that's a common experience for me. I also have a lot of people saying, once we built the genius model, the internal alignment across our organisation was astounding. And, uh, you know, we built the model as a a delivery model, if you like. And uh, so then the next thing they do is they have um, what I call powerful calm. where they move away from selling through pressure and they just sell through presence. It's, it's the force, you know. And usually the force is not overtly relying on strength. It's, it's relying on this calmness that it has. And what we find when people start to use models to communicate, a calmness emerges as they get more comfortable with the model. And it slows things down. And then the third thing is they have the ability for packaged simplicity. They can, they can take complexity, really complex stuff, and package it into these little, little parcels of clarity. Uh, this little model that's in front of people is a little parcel of clarity that takes quite a complex conversation, it would have taken some time to walk through. And drops it and so for a start i would challenge people to think about whether they want to keep calling themselves a thought leader that's the bit that's probably going to offend some people particularly if there's a lot of marketing invested in positioning yourself as a thought leader but here's the real win on this as long as you're the thought leader you can't make your client the hero if you are the hero, there's not the room for you to have the client there with you. But the moment you become the sage, you can make the client the hero in their own story. And in that moment, everything changes. So I don't talk about what your ideal client avatar. I want to know what your ideal client hero identity is. It's the difference between saying, we work with tech startup founders, that's a client avatar, versus saying we work with exceptional tech startup founders or we work with extraordinary or we work with purposeful tech startup founders. The hero avatar, this person's on some kind of hero's journey and you know how to get them to the top of the second mountain. They're stuck on the first mountain and you know how to get them to the top of the second mountain. In the moment you can... The moment you occupy this sage space, and so for us, the models are all about selling like a sage with profound genius, powerful calm and packaged simplicity, and you make the client the hero, you clear out of that space, you let them be the hero, you let them be the thought leader in their own story, your positioning becomes incontestable and unassailable. And also, um imposter syndrome disappears because you're not trying to sell through ego you're not trying to be a hero you you, it's okay if you're smaller and weaker than the hero because you have wisdom you don't need strength you can make sure the hero has the strength you just happen to know what the force is that will give them that strength and it's wildly different positioning um and then when i draw this model people either go oh everything I've got out there about thought leadership or, <laughs> or people go, well, how do I get profound genius, powerful, calm, and package simplicity? And, of course, that's a much, much bigger conversation. But it's, it, it's an interesting, you know, and I know given the, um, your business, Michael, and, and the whole idea, you know, of referral, um, people need to know how to refer somebody. People need to know how to talk about somebody, you know, Um, I can say, you know, you kind of need to talk to Michael. He's the thought leader on how to really build a referral network or a referral system and grow your business and, you know, serve inside a community and have this quite deliberate, strategic yet almost organic. I could talk, talk about you being a thought leader or I could talk about you really need to kind of look at some of Michael's work. He's just got this profound genius around networks and referrals that others don't seem to have there's a wisdom to it and it's he's just so calm in the way that he actually you know puts it in front of people and, and it's so clear you know and whether it's right for you or not you should at least look at what he's got and and i think you're going to see that it makes absolute sense and what i'm doing is referring you as a sage rather than a thought leader or a hero. I'm not saying, hey, you should, you, should, you should be working with Michael. He's going to save you. Think about this for a moment. If you're the thought leader or the hero, it has to make the customer the victim. And no one wants to be the victim. They want to be the hero. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big idea worth thinking about.
0: It's, it's a step further than that. It's a, it's, I would go, it's a big idea you have to. I'm going to use the word have to be able to find a way and get your own ego out of the way. Yeah, because as soon as you make it about you, you can't do what you've just spoken about. Not correct. And if you really, if you really, and the people who are around us know, it's about how do you how do you make an impact. I'm so big on you have a profitable business to be able to reach your dreams yeah. and goals. But once you've done that, great. What's a ripple effect you're going to create? Yeah. You can't do any of that without this way of thinking.
1: No, no. It's, it's just you. So um, I know we're pushing up against time, but, um, you know, I can I can draw a model about where company genius comes from, the origins of company genius, But one, and it is a triangle, and one side of it you know it's it's three things it's who it's what and it's how it's the who is genius usually originates with a person in a company and there's three components to that the what is actually the big idea how that's now been turned into a tangible thing and then the how is l- literally the delivery mechanisms you know ease speed and and uh, and leverage so the, the genius behind behind the big idea of most businesses comes from a person usually in the first instance. And that means they have to a, attach the ego to them. You know, I was just on a call with a client prior to this and they're saying, so, you know, everyone buys our thing because the head of the company is so respected. I mean, that's fabulous until you get into the second and third generation of sales team and people aren't buying directly from the founder anymore. And now you're relying on the ego of the salesperson. So, you know, you've got to step away from that hero ego that is preventing the customer from being their own hero and making, and is instead making them the victim. But you have to put the ego somewhere else. Ego is not a bad thing necessarily. It's, it's an energy, but you've got to put it somewhere, right? So we would say put that ego energy into your model into the genius model and make the model the hero of your solution and you be the sage that created the model. Now, the the, the model can be powerful. You can, it's the difference between saying, you know, I came up with this great solution for this problem in the marketplace and I'm awesome, versus saying, we have a really robust proven framework that has decoded all of the issues that people seem to confront and has and has packaged that into a into into a structure that that can get you to the outcome that you're seeking and the ego is attached to the model it's easier to sell that you don't have to you're not having to beat your own drum all the time and people are happier to hear that but what it also means is if they pick up the model and use it apply your solution they become the hero so the way i think about it is <clears throat> You know, King Arthur as a boy didn't know that he was going to be the hero, and the only way he could become the hero was if he had the model, which was a scabbard. he had to get it out of the stone first. And so all we're doing is giving people a scabbard, but we're actually, you know, we're, we're getting it out of the stone for them. That's really what all of us do in business and, uh, and, and we can carry it alongside of them while they climb the mountain and just hand them the bits they need as they go. That's how we get sustained business. We go, we got this model. Hey, that'll get you started. But why don't we carry it for you while you do all the climbing and we'll just hand you the bits. We've been to the top of the mountain many times before with other people. We can go there with you too and we'll just carry this model for you and hand you the bits as you need. Um, you know, it's like we're your Sherpa. We just happen to be really, really wise. You know, um, it, it, it is a big, Deal when you shift the customer from victim to hero. And so much selling is based on the customer as a victim. So much selling, it's it's actually abhorrent. I, I want to float an idea before we finish. I want to invite people into a challenge, right? I believe business is the most powerful force for good on the planet in the hands of the right leaders. Having conversation this morning, I've got a fundamental issue with charity. And the issue I have with charity is it turns the recipients of the charity into victims automatically. And it means that the quality of the solution is always um, at the demands of the donors, not the recipients. Um, On the far end, you have Wall Street, which which is just a, a mathematical thing, right? What business can do that nothing else can do is sustain long-term transformation of the experience the person's having in the context of what you do. Every business should transform the experience of their customer in the context of what they do. Now, if you're selling cars, that transformation might just be that the person that buys a car from you just feels great every time they get in that car to drive it. If you're selling... um, a health solution, it might be that the transformation is you've saved their life. <clears throat> but you should transform their experience in the context of what you do. And business has the ability to do that, and profit allows you to sustain that, and people are motivated to improve when they're rewarded. So in the hands of the right leaders, business is the most powerful force for good on the planet. And everything is over capitalization in business until you can scale your selling. Everything else is over capitalization until you can scale your selling. And you need a transferable sales story, quote, unquote, a model that you can, try, that you can hand down through generations of sales team. The further the, sales, the, the, the further the generations get away from the original founder, the more the story gets distorted. And you need to be able to hand this scalable sales story down through generations. And when you can scale your selling, your business can do amazing things. And so the challenge I would put out to people is make selling the most noble thing you do. Now, a lot of people think about selling as the tackiest thing they do. A lot of people are fearful of selling. A lot of people see selling as a necessary evil. A lot of people see selling as the pathway to them being able to serve. Selling is the first service. And make selling the most noble thing you do. And there's some things you have to do. Make the buyer safe. Buyer safety is a big deal. When they feel safer with you than they do without you, everything else changes. When they know that you want them to be the hero in their own story, not the victim, everything else changes. And, you know, have an integrity about the sale. Be willing to, you know, be willing to make a commitment to something and say, here's the framework and this is what it will deliver. You know, I have meetings with people. Where they go, "We can't, we can't, absolutely um, say that we can deliver this outcome for customers." You know, because it depends on what the customer does. And they go, like, "Great." So there's vague outcomes, and they go, "Yeah, it is." Fat, so is it okay if the customer's vague about how and when they pay you? You know, if the customer says, "I'll pay you sometime in the next twelve months," is that going to be okay? How would you feel about that? You know, and as the business, you go, "No, we can't have that. You got to pay us." You know every month or whatever, okay. Um, But we have a vagueness about the outcomes we deliver. You know, this should happen, but selling should be the most noble thing we should do. The buyer safety is imperative. And, you know, having the willingness to decode into a structured, organized framework, the genius that you deliver, so the customer can see it. There's nothing vague about it. Here it is, this model, is an insurance policy that will work. That will work for you. We've proven it. We can show you how it works and we deliver against it. So as soon as you bought from us, the first thing we're gonna do is bring that model up again and start delivering and walk you through it. So what you saw on the front end is what you're getting on the back end. Make selling the most noble thing we do. It should be the most noble thing we do. It's the first step in service. I'm pretty passionate about sales. <laughs> you know, it's just, Definitely. it's important.
0: Yeah, no, I love it, it's, it's so spot on. Um, before we jumped on, some goes to me and he said, "How long we got?" Uh, if you just start talking and you're on a roll, I'll just let you keep on going because I thought <laughs> you talk for weeks. Uh, but so I've, I've really appreciated where we've gone. Pleasure. Um, it's. It's amazing, uh, and it doesn't surprise me because it always is. And I so said, I could just sit and listen to you for years and years and years and years, and, and how simple you make things, and how you just bring it all together in such a profound way. And I still remember We still, we still to this day refer. You sat in a room as I was as I was teaching, and within like ten minutes, you went upside down triangle. No, it's, it's taking them from being a transaction thinker to being mm-hmm. a transformational thinker. And, and you drew out a little upside down triangle literally within a minute and, and it's how your mind works and it's, it's just, is amazing. Um, it's so I really appreciate you you're jumping on and looking forward to doing an awful lot more things uh, with you. For those that uh, don't know how to find Simon, the best place to go, the modelsmethod.com. So, search for the just type in www.modelsmethod.com and you will be able to find Simon. He's on LinkedIn, uh, sharing his words of wisdom throughout the week, also. So, make sure you, you go and find him on there. He's just Simon Bowen. Um, anywhere else you'd like them to go, Simon?
1: Um, no, that'll get them there. I, uh, I'm mostly in LinkedIn and, uh, and through our website. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So, um, Again, those people who are listening to this on your favourite podcast station, probably suggest you go into the show notes and click on the video so you can actually see some of the things that that Simon's drawn out. Uh, Make sure you reach out. Make sure you connect. And um, yes, visualisation and selling visually is important, but it's actually not even the be-all and end-all. It's what Simon has just shared to be able to sell nobly and to be able to explain and get across the big idea on how you can help solve their problem in a successful way, that's what people are missing. And yeah. I guarantee that's what's missing for you and that's why sales is hard for you and that's why business feels hard for you. It doesn't have to be. So no. make sure, please, pop over to www.modelsmethod.com and search for Simon Bowen B O W E N for those on the podcast on LinkedIn. Simon, again, really appreciate it. Um, I'm looking forward to bring you into our partnership club tribe and, and being able to work with these guys a little bit closer. Um, but as I said, it's always just a pleasure that I can just sit and listen and. Now I need the afternoon to go and get everything that you've just talked about out of my head and uh, because you've just blown my mind. So thank you so much for jumping on and joining us.
1: All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye.
0: For those those that have been uh, listening for the very first time, that is the Get More Referrals Today podcast. If you've loved that episode, please make sure that you go and share it. It is the best way to ensure that uh, we get to help more and more and more business owners, service providers, consultants to be able to go and create this ripple effect throughout society and make a bigger impact. Because as Simon has already said and we totally agree with, hey, as business owners, it's up to us. We, We can make the impact. We can change the world. And you've got so many people to be able to go and help. So please make sure you share this episode with whoever you know that would really appreciate it. Until next time, guys, take care, and I'll speak to you real soon. See you later, all.